brands need to be thinking about what is the consumer's story and how can they fit into that story and enhance that story. What's up, branding experts? Arek here at and welcome to On Branding Podcast. And today, my guest is Sandeep Dayal. And Sandeep is the managing director of the consulting firm Serenti, where he advises senior executives of Fortune 500 companies around the world and the global market leaders like Pfizer, HSBC, Santander Bank, Kraft, and many other famous brands. So Dial recently published this book, Branding Between the Airs, where he describes how to use cognitive science in branding and brand building. So we're going to talk about Dial's new book. Hello, Dial. Thanks for joining us today. All right. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you very much. And thanks for sending the book. The book is pretty interesting. I've read so many books about branding, but this is something totally different. So basically, the concepts you present us in this book are interesting because they explain why all old methods of branding don't really work anymore, why they are failing, and you focus on uh, describing how to use cognitive science in order to build cognitive brands, right? So the brands that work the same way as our brain works. Yeah. So you talk about things like psychology, cognitive science, and things like that, and brand science. First, I wanted to start with what is the difference between cognitive versus traditional brands? What's wrong with this old way of branding? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a great place to start. Let me comment on a few things that uh, you just mentioned in your introduction. So, you know, if you look at branding books, you go to business school and you look at the branding books, they're not talking about the things that they should be talking about, which is the kinds of things that I talk about in the cognitive branding arena, but forever, if you will, branding has been all about product differentiation versus what I would call brand differentiation. And it sort of seems logical, Arik, because when you look at it, you say, okay, I've got a product X. You know, how's that different from the competing products? And then in my branding, I'm going to just talk about how my product is different. And that is fine. And what ends up happening is that a lot of times marketers, as a result of that methodology, which is in all the branding books that you will see in business schools and so on, they end up making a list of benefits where their product is different. Right. And what we are finding from psychology is quite, if you will, at least different, if not the reverse. But what you're finding is that the human brain doesn't really work in terms of lists. You know, we all struggle with lists. In fact, if I give you a list of five things to do, you'll forget three things. Right. So we're not designed to process lists. What we are designed to do is we are designed to process things like stories. We're designed to process things like pictures sounds, patterns, rhymes, you know, all of these different things. And we are designed, when I say we are designed, our human brain is designed to tap into things like experiences of the past, tap into our fantasies, because those are the things that are really in our brain. So what marketers have to do is they have to migrate from simply talking about the list of things that are different in their products to getting into how are they going to tap into people's experiences and fantasies and so on, right? And that's the big difference. Cognitive brands are really brands that do exactly that. They work the way that your brain does. Right. Thanks for that. That's a great summary. So I have some also some of my notes, some of my takeaways from your book. So basically, just to summarize for our listeners, the old way of branding, as you mentioned, it was just about, for example, features and benefits, right? 
our value proposition. So as you mentioned, those leads, but this is not really how our brain works. We have some memories, we have some fantasies, as you mentioned, we have some experiences. I'm glad you mentioned those senses, right? We need to use those senses and tell stories in a way that will tap into those experiences, right? From the past, all those people's fantasies. So that was a difference. So traditional branding was all about product differentiation, features and benefits. But for example, brands like Dove, which is a soap brand, they did a highly successful campaign, Real Beauty, which you talk about in the book, didn't even mention soap without even talking how their product is different, right? They use what is called branding with empathy. So basically, the new way of branding that you described in the book, it works on the same principles as our brain works, right? And I like the way you divided that into vibes, which we're going to talk about soon. Um, so... Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's vibe, sense, and uh, resolve. And and maybe, you know, for your listeners, I can give an example. And you mentioned one example right there yeah. with Dove's uh, Real Beauty yes, campaign, please. which didn't talk about their body wash in terms of, hey, it moisturizes better or it cleans better or anything like that. But it really talked about the fact that uh, real women or women that we meet in our workplaces, women that, that are at our home, don't look anything like the models that you might see on the cosmetic brand commercials. And what was happening was that when people put these super thin, you know, almost anorexic, perfectly beautiful models in their commercials, it makes the average woman feel worse about her body because she feels like, oh my gosh, you know, I can never look like that. And what Dove did was that they put just the average woman on all their billboards. And that made people connect with their brand more and their body wash and soaps, the top brands, the top selling products in their category. Another example that I love, which is kind of interesting, is Procter & Gamble had this sanitary pad, sanitary napkins for women that is called Always. And normally you would think that a product like that would be about, you know, if you just made a list of benefits, you would say something like, hey, it lasts all day you know, it doesn't leak and those types of things, right? Those would be typical. And you'd be no different from everybody else that is yeah. making those similar products. So you just make a list of things. But what they did is that, look, you know, it is about confidence, having the confidence that you won't have any issues uh, during the day. But rather than just talk about confidence in that way, they talked about the big idea of confidence. And what they discovered in the research was that if you looked at teenage girls, that's the first time that they start wearing sanitary pads, that they have a big confidence issue on a completely different topic, which is that people always use this phrase like a girl, you know, you throw like a girl, you talk like a girl, you uh, are emotional like a girl, right? So, so this whole phrase like a girl was being used as a way to put down women, put down teenagers and undermine their confidence. So what always did was that they came up with this campaign in which they said always like a girl, and they actually celebrated how women do things the way they do. And it's just perfectly fine. And in many cases, they do it no differently than men, but just people put them down by saying it's like a girl, but they made they tapped into this whole bigger idea of confidence, which was also the key theme around their product. But you can see how by focusing on connecting with their consumers versus just simply telling them, hey, this is how my product is better, right? They said, let me focus on connecting with you. And by tapping into their angst, they became one of the leading products in their category. And that is a big learning that, you know, you say, hey, 
when you're doing branding, maybe your product doesn't even have to talk about its benefits, but it has to talk about other things. Now, I'm not saying you'd always do that, but nonetheless, it's a big lesson in terms of the way that you can establish those connections with consumers, because guess what? If you have that connection, if you and I feel like we have a special chemistry, then you're going to believe what I say. So when brands do the same thing, when they establish that chemistry with consumers, then people believe what that brand is saying. And that's kind of what's important. Now, we are going to take a quick break here, but we'll be right back. Listen, my mission is to help people design iconic brands. So whether you're a business leader who wants to be more intentional with branding and all of its aspects, or you're a creative professional who wants to attract powerful clients and truly be able to help them succeed with branding, then you need to start with a discovery session in order to develop a strategy that will inform all of your creative work. And everything that you need to learn how to do that, you can find in my online courses at ebigdesign.com slash shop where I share with you my worksheets, case studies, video tutorials, and other additional resources to help you feel safe and strong about your process. Now let's get back to our interview. Yeah, so, you know, if it's based on emotions, if it talks to our fears or fantasies, the connection will be much stronger than just a list of some factual features or benefits, right? That's right. So you divided your book into three parts. So in the first, you talk about the design, cognitive brands, the design. So can you explain um, on your framework, which you start mentioning like vibes, sense, and resolve, right? Yeah. So you divide this into three parts and maybe you can give us some examples so we can understand the concepts. Sure, sure. So uh, yeah, the new cognitive branding model, I sort of have framed it as having three different components. Now, you don't have to have every component in every brand, but nonetheless, the three types of things that can make for a cognitive brand are brand vibes, brand sense, and uh, brand resolve. Now, in brand vibes is kind of what we were just discussing, Arik, which was around how you connect with your consumers based on either empathy or the kinds of values that they have, you know, what they feel is right and wrong. And does the brand also align with what they feel is right and wrong? So that's kind of this whole notion of brands with empathy, brands with values. And I sort of merged them into this whole topic of brand vibes, which is where the consumer is asking the question, does the brand give me good vibes? The second piece of it is uh, brand sense. And this is where the consumer is sort of evaluating either consciously or subconsciously, does what the brand say, does it make sense to me, Mm -hmm. right? And they can evaluate in either of those ways, which is conscious or subconscious. And then the third piece is brand resolve. And brand resolve is around, does the brand, is the brand going to make me happy? Is the brand going to help me meet my goals? You know, whatever those goals might be, my personal goals, right? But generally speaking, when we meet our personal goals, we feel happier about ourselves. And therefore, is the brand going to make me happy? Now, We talked about brand vibes. If we talk about brand sense and we can talk about some subconscious choice. And what I mean by subconscious choice is that in our brains, right? I mean, if you think about your life, right? You've been living your life. You've been buying lots of products. You've been using lots of products. All those interactions are creating some kind of knowledge and learning in your brain, right? You're not 
necessarily remembering every minute of using every product, but there are learnings, you know, you know, oh, maybe, you know, you might have some rules that you form. So for example, sometimes you may have a rule, like be happy with what you have. For example, a lot of us are taught in our lives not to be greedy, you know, be happy with what you have. So that's it's a bias. That's a cognitive bias that in uh, a lingo of psychology is called uh, loss aversion bias, which is that we like to stick with what we have. So if you're a marketer, you can sort of tap into that rule that a person has in making them stick with what they have, if you will, right? And there are lots of examples of brands that have, for example, done something like that, where they say, you know, why don't you stay with something that you know, that you are familiar with, right? Or don't go with things that you have the fear of missing out on opportunities. So there are these different rules that you have. And in my book, I talk about how these different things come into play. So on this specific rule, uh, for example, in the pharma sector, in the healthcare sector, a lot of drugs will talk about, hey, don't you want to keep the health that you have, the good health that you have? So that is like sticking with what you have. You don't want to lose what you have and therefore take the drug kind of a thing. So you have the examples like that uh, with Enbrel. You have examples like that with some of the oncology drugs and so on. So we see a lot of things like that, which happen to these subconscious rules, which are already there in our minds. Right. Okay. So some of my notes for this part, again, so there are three components, vibes, sense, and resolve. So first, we ask ourselves a question, does the brand have a good vibe? And that can be achieved through empathy, like Duff, for example. Yeah. Feel the way you feel. I know what you're going through, right? We are empathizing with them or by sharing same core values, as you mentioned, right? Yes. And some of the brand examples here for empathy, we also have Dollar Shave Club and Subaru, which you mentioned yeah. in the book. I'm not going to explain all that, but if you guys want to check out, it's really described totally in the book. And when it comes to values, that would be Ben and Jerry, right? They create those uh, flavors and they talk about social justice and things like that, right? right? So they stand for a cause. Now, for the brand sense, which is the second component, we ask ourselves, uh, ourselves a question. Does the brand make sense to me? And that can be conscious or unconscious, right? Yeah. So... Does it feel easy or true or authentic? Is there a hard evidence? We can use like risk mitigation, as you mentioned, right? Yes. Uh, it basically, it needs to feel like a no-brainer, right? So here's some of the examples. So you also subdivide those into like, for example, it can feel familiar, right? Like DiGiorno Pizza did that. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno, right? So yeah. they kind of link themselves to this fresh delivery pizza, right? But this is a frozen pizza, right? By using this kind of a tagline or advertising slogan. Now, another example is for authenticity would be RX bar, which is a protein bar. So they use this no bullshit ingredients statement. So it makes it feel authentic and true. Another would be when the brand just feels good, like Genus Beer. They did a commercial that you mentioned in the book also about this guys playing basketball on a wheelchair. And only yes. one of them was actually uh, handicapped, right? So... And uh, another example, it just feels easy, like Instacart for grocery deliveries, right? Which is convenience or staples. You have this oversized easy button everywhere. It's so easy to order anything from them. And you mentioned a lot of examples here. So it could be amplifying the value of the brand like Uber did. 
for example. So there is no hailing, taxi, quick payments, there are electronic receipts, sometimes better price. They lose money for many years in order to build that brand. So yeah, I'm not going to go through all of this, but you give us a lot of uh, great examples. Uber, Warby Park, uh, D-Beers, Patek Philippe, how they use those different systems. So there's system one and there's system two. System one is more about conscious and system two is more about unconscious, right? Now, system one is the subconscious and system oh, sorry, two, the other yeah, yeah, system right. two is where we make uh, conscious decision making. But as you rightly point out, Arik, in this book, um, the big emphasis is on giving people practical examples, you know, by sort of articulating these concepts through real examples. Because yeah. I know many of your listeners are going to be having brands that they're running and they want to be able to say, hey, how is this going to apply to my brand? Right. And that is where by looking at the book, you can see different examples. Then you can say, yeah, my brand is kind of like, you know, Uber or my brand is kind of like a Warby Parker or something. Right. And that mm-hmm. can say, can I use these ideas for my brand? So that is why the book is intended to communicate these frameworks by example. Now, a lot of this is based, by the way, on deep research that has been done in the arena of psychology and behavioral science. But most of that research, if you you know read the academic books, is not done on practical brands. It's done on public policy. It's done on you know experiments that they do on students and so on. And for marketers, that can be confusing because you know how do you take academic research and then apply it to right. to real world brands? And that's what I've done in this book, which is to make it easy for marketers by really applying it already to brands, so that you can just look at it and say, oh. You know, what if I did that for my brand, right? Just to shout to our listeners, for example, so there are some, uh, I'm not sure if you guys can see. Yeah. So, um, so this is, That's for example, ben and, Jerry's. Uh, ben and Jerry's ice creams, right? So you actually describe all of these ideas and you give us a few examples of famous brands so that most of us, we can relate because we know these brands, right? So, it, yes. so yeah, uh, so how you can apply that, you know, just reading this book and uh, reading through those case studies that you analyze all, all these brands that use different concepts, you can have like aha moment. And you can think, like you said, like maybe I'm Uber, but in another industry, I'm, maybe I'm kind of like, like them, yes. but in another industry, and you can have this aha moment. Aha, I can apply this to my industry. I can take something from them and take something from. So this can also like inspire you in your process. Yeah, I mean, I think you picked a good example, and you know, so for example, with Uber, the point that I'm making is that they give so many benefits with their product, right? I mean, that you can hail a taxi while sitting in your room. You can see how the taxi is arriving. You can pay for it on your credit card. You don't even have to take out your credit card. So, you know, all these things, when you add up, there are so many benefits. And then initially when they launched it, many times it was cheaper than taking a taxi. So that I call like the no brainer method. So if you're a marketer sitting there with your own brand, the question you have to ask Can I be like an Uber? And really what the question you're asking is, can I make the benefit versus cost such a no-brainer for my customer that they're going to say, oh, I got to get this. Like, you know, how do I not get this? They're just the pile of benefits is just so much more. And Uber did it initially, as you saw, by taking a loss on it. So, you know, it was a little bit. And that's what a lot of these new world brands do, that they get financing from the public markets. 
and they're able to provide a lot of benefit to you mm-hmm. before they actually start making money and then they're established. But I think that question is fair for any brand, which is not just, hey, can I give a little bit of benefit? Can you make your brand so that a person would look at it and say, it's a no brainer. I got to get this thing. Yeah. And, and then see where you could get and how big it could make you and then figure it out. So it's just a way, like you said, it's a way for you to stretch your own thinking and see if there are things that you could do differently with your brand, which you haven't done in the past, if you're not happy with where your brand is today. Right. That's a great summary. And then we have brand resolve, which you already mentioned, which is, you know, does the brand make me happier? Because we can speak to our inborn desires, like being free or being in control or just feeling good about ourselves, right? These are all people share the same desire, right? So an example would be here, MasterCard's iconic campaign, Priceless, or National Car Rental campaign, Go Like a Pro, right? Yeah. Which which they play on that concept, being in control and autonomy and, and stuff like that. Right, uh, right. And, and the third part of your book, you talk about execution, right? So this is about more about doing not versus thinking, right? And here you give us, again, a lot of examples like Old Spice, John West, Prudential. So uh, maybe you have some of your favorite examples that you want to talk about of brands that executed the right way. Yes. Yeah, so I think there are a few things when you start. So once you've designed your brand and you've sort of said, hey, this is what my brand is going to be about. That's my DNA. Then you have to actually execute the experience. And in that sense, there are a couple of things that are highlighted in the book. So one part of it is that what really constitutes an experience? What do you really remember? Right. So there's work that has been done by Daniel Kahneman, for example, in which he talks about that when you are Looking at an experience, the really the parts that you remember are mostly the climax of the experience mm-hmm. and the tail end of the experience. And you tend to forget everything else. And I give the example in my book where I talk about this one time that I was taking a Swiss Air flight. You know, it's an eight hour flight to Zurich from Chicago. And, you know, in the middle of this flight, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm getting good service and all that. But, you know, you usually get good service. So you don't tend to remember that. But what I do remember is that the air hostess came to me and she said, sir, do you want to buy something from the duty-free shop? And I said, no, I don't want to buy anything from the duty-free shop, but I love the wine that you serve. And can I buy a bottle of that? And she said, sure. She didn't even say, oh, you can't do that or anything. She said, sure. And a few minutes later, she comes back and the bottle of wine is in a duty-free bag and she hands it to me. And I said, okay, and how much do I give her my credit card? And she said, oh, that's not necessary. It's uh, complimentary for you. And so I remember that still. You know, I don't remember anything. So that was kind of the climax moment of that flight. So you remember that. And then at the end of the flight, you know, I walk into there and they had a nice reception area and a nice club. The Swiss Air Club was very nice there. I had a nice shower. So I felt very relaxed. So, you know, if you take those things, so I just do remember the two things I remember about the flight is her giving me that complimentary bottle of wine and having a nice shower and feeling very relaxed. Those two things I remember. The rest of the thing in that entire eight hours, I don't remember. So the message for you as a marketer, what are people going to actually remember about your experience? What is that climax moment that your memorable climax moment that you're going to create? What? How is the experience going to end the interaction with the brand? Be very focused on those things because that's what people remember. The other part that I talk about in that book, as you were referring to earlier, Arik, is around the sensory branding, which is that because we experience the world not just through what we read or what the brand is saying on a billboard, but, you know, by smelling the environment, 
by, you know, seeing whatever else is there, by touching things in a store, by whatever, you know, all our five senses are involved in it. And the one learning from the book is that in your brand experience, whenever you're executing, the more senses that you can involve in it, the more memorable your brand is going to be. So you could be someone that's selling a sweater in a store, but you got to focus on how is the sweater overall going to look? What's around it? That's your visual. You've got to see how it is when you feel it and touch it. What if the person picks it up and smells it? You know, all those things you have to really focus on because it's the combination of all of those things that get stored as a single experience in our brain. So write what I call a brand brief for every sense and how it's going to be engaged when people experience your brand. Right. So it's not only about seeing, but also maybe some music, right? Maybe some, yeah. maybe you can add some smell to it. Maybe you can make like a texture of your packaging have a different feel. Or like Apple products, they have this packaging that everyone is copying now, right? Because it's a nice experience. It's slowly, I kind of open this box and it's nicely designed. It's so minimalist, right? I see so many brands are copying that. It's a nice experience as well. So that would be touch experiencing that. So yeah, these are great examples. So it's about involving the senses, right? And telling a compelling story. And, and I like the example that you just gave us with, with those airlines, right? Because that was the climax. So maybe we think and think about what is that climax experience. Maybe she did this unconsciously or maybe she did it consciously. Maybe they have like a brand culture and she figured that was kind of surprising, you know. She could just say, hey, this is not for sale. But there was something that drove her, you know, maybe some core values of the company. Maybe she remembers something from the training, right? Uh, yes. From the company culture or whatever it was that, you know, to please the customer. So she gave you the wine for free. And now you're going to tell this story to your friends and so on. So it kind of like that storytelling also, right? Press yeah. the word and, uh, and that's marketing. So, uh, yeah, so storytelling is becoming very, very big as, as you know, in, in marketing. And so what is happening is that people are talking about how there are so many brands out there that your attention spans are shrinking, right? That's what people keep talking about. And I argue that it's not really shrinking. It's uh, our attention spans are big. Our attention spans are long because attention spans can be conscious or subconscious and the subconscious attention spans are as long as they ever were. The point is that you as a marketer has have to, it's not about just getting your message across in a short amount of time because, you know, I might be looking away, I might have sneezed and I don't see your message because you just shrank it to five seconds. But Really, it is up to you as a marketer that how are you going to get my attention? You know, how are you going to be noticed? And once you are noticed, what kind of story are you going to tell? Because people love stories, right? Or, you know, you go to a movie, you can sit there and watch a two-hour movie, right? You can watch a James Bond movie, you can watch Forrest Gump, and you're going to remember that two-hour movie. So attention spans are as long as you want them to be, as long as you can tell good stories. The one thing about stories... Because people get confused about this, then people think, oh, gee, I got to tell a story about my brand. That's not necessarily the case. You know, people are not looking at the story of your brand only as in, oh, my grandfather started this farm. And then, you know, we had yeah. these lambs there and this, you know, that's your story. You have to also understand how your brand is going to fit into your consumer story. Yeah. You see, right. if, if I'm, you know, if I'm buying a bottle of wine, 
I'm thinking, oh, you know what? I have family coming over. I'll have this by now. You know, they're going to ask me, why did I pick this wine? And I'm going to explain it like this. I'm sort of fantasizing and imagining all those things in my mind, which is my story. So, so long as the bottle of wine has been presented in such a way that I can tell a good story and the story is going to be about me, then it can be very compelling. So brands need to be thinking about what is the consumer's story and how can they fit into that story and enhance that story? Right. That's a great point. That's a great point. And I think a lot of marketers make this mistake. And I've heard about that principle from all other experts as well. You know, it's not about you telling your brand story, but you telling your brand story in a way that can fit into the story of your customer. So it's actually about their story, you know, because they want to tell a story about like, if it's wine, you know, this wine comes from this winery or whatever, but they're going to only remember key few things. Maybe they can express their taste or whatever. Um their values or whatever through that bottle of wine right and through that uh, storytelling so as we are about to approach the end of our interview i just wanted to ask you how we can find more about you so you have a website of course sandeepdayal.com right i'm yes. going to link to your book in the description below but otherwise maybe social media yeah you can uh, go to my author website which is sandeepdayal.com and there are links to where you can buy the book, you know, on Amazon. It's available online everywhere, you know, Walmart, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon, Porchlight, all of these places are have the book available. On the website, you will also find a place to sign up because from time to time, I do a blog where I will comment about brands that are doing strategies today. Like I commented about a whole bunch of brands when we had the Super Bowl and how brands are being impacted by Ukraine and so on. You know, so all this stuff I do on my blog. So if you sign up there, you will from time to time get a 500, 700 word email from me in which you can learn about brands today. Yeah, that's a great resource. So again, I'm going to link to your book. Thanks for sending over the book. That was very interesting. I recommend to everyone to check out this book and especially all these examples because, you know, it can just inspire you in your work. Again, thanks for your time and I hope to talk to you soon. Thank you very much. I enjoyed our discussion. This was great. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.